Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. If They Come For Us has been called awe-inspiring, honest, inventive, and gripping. In these poems, Asgar braids together marginalized people's histories with their own understanding of identity, place, and belonging. Fatima Asgar's work has appeared in poetry, magazines, BuzzFeed Reader, Academy of American Poets, and many others, and has been featured on news outlets like PBS, NBC, Teen Vogue, Huffington Post, and others. She's the writer of Brown Girls, an Emmy-nominated web series that highlights the friendship between women of color. In 2017, she was the recipient of a Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Fellowship from the Poetry Foundation, and was on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Morgan Parker is the author of There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce, and Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night. In 2019, a third collection of poems, Magical Negro, will be published by Tin House, and a young adult novel will be published with Delacorte Press. The debut book of a nonfiction will be released in 2020 by One World. Parker is the recipient of a 2017 National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship and winner of a Pushcart Prize. She lives in Los Angeles. Sam Bailey is a writer and director from Chicago, currently residing in Los Angeles. She's the creator of the Gotham-nominated web series, You're So Talented, which premiered at the 2015 Tribeca Film Festival as part of the NOW program. Sam is the director and co-creator of the web series Brown, Girl, Brown Girls. Uh, Sam was included on New City's Film 50 list. Her work has been reviewed and featured on platforms such as Elle, W Magazine, Fox News, and Out Magazine. We're incredibly fortunate to have such talented writers with us this evening. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. So I should call this piece like the summer of poet ruined my life. <laughs> but it's actually just caught in the dream. I'm sitting in a navy blue sedan across the street from Danny's, the bar, and it is hot, humid, sticky. The air full of something that manages to smell like both brownies and piss at the same time. The kind of air that, no matter how many times you shower, leaves you with a thick layer of sweat and dirt that never seems to go away. My thighs are sticking to the seat, but I'm too self-conscious to move them in fear of making an awkward noise. I'm on a date with a poet. <laughs> I meet Madrid in school. He's a guest speaker at my Freud in a 20th century arts class. He shares his poetry and the moment he speaks his first line, I am entranced. I will be destroyed by a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> I'm 22, but that still sounds like a dick. <laughs> I was a bored acting major at Columbia College with a fully realized problem with authority figures. I was tired of playing animals and maids and slaves. I craved any type of outside influence, and Madrid was more than willing to give it. At the end of his lesson, he jokingly asked us to Facebook him if we dug his work. I do, and this begins our relationship, which is played out over messages, emails, and texts. 
each one getting more and more flirtatious and challenging. June 18th, 1.47 p.m., Madrid. I do have this sense that you and I rhyme in a weird way that's coming out in this gabba gabba and I love it, but you're somehow resistant to it. Speak to that. <laughs> June 18th, 2.03 p.m., me. I'm intrigued and captivated and maybe a bit disturbed. Not resistant at all, in fact, fully inebriated by it. Speak to that, if you feel inclined. June 18th, 2.07 p.m., Madrid, fully inebriated by it. I like the sound of that. So this exchange is doing it for you. <laughs> Me too. Four weeks later, I accompany him to a poetry reading that his living girlfriend of 15 years can't attend. He tells me that she, Lydia, can't join him, and if I would do him the pleasure of being his date. Now, I should mention that I don't like Lydia. I don't even like the name Lydia. I've never met her, but I've read poems about her, and I know she's his muse, and when I YouTube him, which I did, I YouTube him when I YouTube him, I saw videos of her watching him as if he was a god among ants, and he was hers. So I say yes. Now Madrid does not look his age. He's got tan skin and beady little espresso-like eyes, a head full of dark waves. He's tall with broad shoulders and wears shirts with the first couple of buttons undone, little sprouts of hair peeking out. He has a younger spirit. It's mischievous and dangerous in all the most cliche ways one can be dangerous and not a murderer. <laughs> I feel good standing next to him, full, more womanly. I think together we make a good-looking, dangerous couple. He agrees. We sit together and listen to three poets do their thing. Madrid is unimpressed. Lazy, he calls them, rolling his eyes at the man reading a piece I can only assume he's heard before. Typical, he whispers when the next poet finishes with a rather ambiguous ending. I thought the last one was pretty good, but I couldn't articulate why, and I didn't want to look like a novice in public. Through phone calls, I'd jump at the chance to disagree just for the sake of disagreeing with Madrid. He'd call me proud and tough and brassy and self-sufficient, but that was in the safety of my room. In front of his colleagues, I couldn't hide my age. That was tragic. He says after the reading is done, his hand on the small of my back guiding me out the bar. We sit in his car for a bit, his hand on my sweaty thigh, not saying anything. I'm relieved that it's nighttime right now because he can't see me blushing. I open my mouth to ask him why Lydia couldn't join him, but before I can scrape the words out, he interrupts. Hey, hey, promise me, whatever you make out of us, make it good. I want to sit in an audience and say to the people to my left and right, eat it, you two, she's talking about me. Yeah. I laugh. And Lydia's busy, he finishes. I roll my eyes. Look, she knows I'm here, he says, smirking. But if I told her that some hot 20-something black actress is considering whether or not she wants to fuck me while we listen to subpar men wax poetically about their mommy issues, it would drive her up the wall. Why do that? She means too much to me. I stare at him for a moment, then, you think I'm hot? <laughs> we drive to a nearby Mediterranean place. He orders for me and begins talking animately about the high school girls he tutors for the SATs. He calls them his Emilys and Maggies. My mind wanders to the things I would do to be able to spend two hours alone with Madrid every day, his hand on my arm peering over my shoulder as I purposely struggle with my math work. He'd whisper the steps to the equation and I'd lose my train of thought, feeling his hot breath on the side of my cheek and all of a sudden I'd feel lightheaded. 
I realize I'm in the middle of my daydream when I hear Madrid mutter, they are all so disgustingly clingy. In between our hummus and chicken shawarma, I wonder if he talks this way to Lydia about me. There's a lull and I ask him confidently, don't you think this is kinda inappropriate? What, he asks, his eyes twinkling. The this going out without telling Lydia, all those letters we've written to each other. He eats a bit more, slowly tearing his pita bread and dipping it into the hummus. He hasn't broken eye contact with me. I stop eating and drop my gaze. He intimidates me. Smart men always have. He laughs. Our relationship isn't normal, but who made you the normalcy cop anyway? You don't gently bite my neck. I don't gently bite yours. We're not doing anything wrong. And he's right. We haven't. But we want to, or at least I want to. I, I'm pretty sure he, want to. he wants to. We've written pretty vividly the things we wish we could do to each other. Silent wishes of kisses on shoulders and breasts and detailed plans of running away together. To Pilsen. <laughs> we stay in a modest studio with exposed brick on the inside and turquoise painted walls on the outside. He write monologues for me and I perform them only for him and maybe a few fucked up friends who were too wrapped up in their own affairs to be bothered by ours. Every day would be a passionate fight, brought on by a character flaw he points out while we sip coffee with cinnamon and chocolate on the wood floor surrounded by papers and journals of late, write, late night writing sessions we had the day before. It was all so clear, you guys. But we don't. The next few weeks are full of more of the same. We still haven't been physical, but I feel mind, soul, royally, and morally fucked. I tell Madrid I want to call it off. Hey, this is not good, I do not feel good, and since I'm sure nothing will happen, I don't see what the point is in dragging this out. I don't think we should talk anymore. When I finish, he pauses. I can feel him smirking through the phone. He says I'm being unreasonable, reactionary, crazy even. 20 minutes later, he has me convinced, and I don't know how I got here. I used to be able to flutter between guys, gaining pieces of themselves, and choosing which pieces of myself I gave away. With Madrid, I released them instinctively and couldn't tell which pieces were gone until he'd throw them back at me, dressed in rhyme and metaphor. Three months of the same thing goes by, and I have a novel of emails, his manuscript of poetry, and a newly realized obsession. I am obsessed with Madrid. All I do is think about him and hope he thinks about me. When I'm in rehearsals, I'm nowhere near present, and all of my conversations with my friends sound like, well, Madrid said, or Madrid thinks, and, well, Madrid and I? <laughs> my friends beg me to go out, but I stay home, barricaded in my bedroom, my laptop on my stomach, trying to outwit him. Sometimes I do. It's rare, but when it happens, he gives me praise. Look at this thing, Sam. It glitters with nifty English. I write more, asking him to explain himself, to explain us and what that could be. Ask me more questions, he begs. Make me be clearer. Lure me away from my work, kid. Kid. I eat that shit up. <laughs> he acts as though he needs my criticisms, my insight, me is intoxicating. The conversations I do have outside of Madrid seem so frivolous, so light. Madrid has a simple answer for that. They're not part of our tribe, Sam. You and I, we live helplessly in a fantasy of our own specialness. I get it. Without him saying another word, I get it, and it's starting to chip away at me. The way we talk about ourselves, like our relationship is the only unique and complex one in the world, is tricky. There are days that I want him to be my lover or my father. I'm never sure. 
The more comfortable we get with each other, the more we start picking at our flaws, and long conversations of flowery verses have quickly transformed into combative words used to highlight our personal shortcomings as artists and as humans. I don't stop myself from challenging his relationship with Lydia, and he doesn't hesitate to check me on my self-righteousness. It's starting to sting. We decide to meet up at Montrose Beach at 2 in the morning to talk one day in late August. It's empty, and I can't remember the last time I had been at the lake this early without friends, booze, and the fear of getting caught by the cops. I sit next to him, listening as he reads some of his new work. He tells me he's finished the first draft of a play, the first time he's ever dabbled in theater. About what, I ask, pleased that I've inspired him to go outside of his comfort zone. About a 22-year-old girl who's obsessed with a 42-year-old man. <laughs> A poet. She's disdainful of her youth and slightly disdainful of her poet. Self-righteous yet so obviously desperate for attention and acceptance. I'm quiet for a moment, taking the view in, silent. By this time, the sun is starting to come out. The, this vibrant red line is rising and a circle is forming. And for a second, I have this fleeting thought of how I've never seen that before. And how beautiful, you know, in the most cliche way. Beautiful. I think of one of his poems, the one that grabbed me so fiercely that afternoon four months prior. It ended with this. She says she's never felt this way before. Get over yourself, Madrid. She's 17. She's never felt any way before. I stare at him and then look back out at this beautiful sunrise, and I can't believe I'm here with him. This practically married man, this poet, this dude I've put on a pedestal. The sun's up, fully, it's harsh, and my hands suddenly feel really cold. He sighs, he kisses my cheek, it's the first time he's ever done that. It's dry, slow, calculated even. When I finally look up at him to let him know that it's okay, I'm actually really okay, I'm actually already over it. <laughs> he's leaving, he's walking away, he's already gone. I look out at the lake and I feel nothing. So I breathe and I think of Pilsen. Thank you. That was amazing, Sam. I'm like kind of speechless. Everyone who knows me is like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, I'm going to read some old things and then some new things. I'm not going to read uh, from their more beautiful books than Beyonce. Make a book, you're very tired of it. You know? It's like, I'm just tired of saying the word Beyonce out loud. <laughs> you know? Like, can I get a break? Um, so here we go back to a time in my life where. My only desire was to be on the real world. <laughs> and then I went to get my MFA instead. And I was like, who's this girl who's only writing poems on the real world? That's what I was up to. If my housemate fucks with me, I would get so real. Audition tape, take one. I didn't come here to make friends. Buildings spit their stomachs at me, and I spit back, down the sidewalk, into a bitch's hair. I am a forehead careening in clouds, a dirty tree branch brushing against the shingles of the production room. 
I am groundbreaking, two as one. Brooding, tattooed over my art, otherwise black. Can do angry, can't do accents. I need little coaching or provocation. Opinionated and everything a man wants. Lips and boobs camera ready. If I hear you're talking shit about me in your confessional interview, <laughs> please know seven birds have fallen dead at my feet right out of the sky. <laughs> I learned this right hook here when I was only six. Bitch, please. I'm so real my hair is going gray. Legs bruised up like tree bark, veins of my neck as swollen as ripe fruit, the cheeks of what is growing. Face Cathedral. I'm like, what are, who wrote these? <laughs> Blue songs are how I feel when I let strangers use my lighter. <laughs> Already traffic on the expressway. Plants in rows like apartments. In Africa, this man is a lawyer, but here he sells records on the street. He says, everyone is so quick to tell the world about their problems, but they won't tell a priest. He says he needs a woman with hollow cheeks. By now, only imprints of flowers. Knobs in the trees, swollen faces. When dogs look at me as they pass, I imagine their ancestors watching. This is the difference between fog in the skyline and me, or a steamboat frozen on the river. The trumpet solo is your face in a new world. Confessions heard in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and sticks on wood. Miss Black America. Does she drink, smoke lights? Does she bother spitting our seeds? Does she hate her little sister? Is her ringtone R-E-S-P-E-C-T? <laughs> Does she wake up next to you and shudder? Does she think she's crazy? Does she go to church? Does her therapist ask where her desires have gone? Does she know what makes her special? Does she say wild and free? Does she believe it? Miss Buckner. Does she flat iron or out of package relaxer? Does she blow out, pick clean, shape up or flip her weave? Does she got that good hair from her mama's side? Does she let her white friends touch? Is she style and grace? Is she dynamite? Is she a doll for you? Does she come with a special comb? Young, sassy, and black. I use these words to distract you. I know I was young once, didn't get shit. <laughs> I was like, here's a poem. <laughs> Deal with it. One more from here. How about this one? No, that's too sad. You want sad? Everything is bothering me. My therapist says I remind her of Woody Allen. It sounds like something out of a Woody Allen movie. A little peach colored and rich. All my friends say, baby, don't go to work tomorrow. 
I go home quietly, wake up and go to work, I can do it forever. We tried to see the meteor shower from a cliff, spit bourbon out of flasks at the moon. You said you'd never disrupt space. I said, hell, I own it. Everything flesh covered, colored in flesh, my sunken stomach, some billowy clouds. I am trying to sleep alone. You are doing whatever. I swear to God I know people. They live on the internet. They are the best. <laughs> the hills are large yellow dogs. Trees on the mountains turn to moss, I wonder how. Beneath me, kitchen tiles move quickly into next week. The street is quiet for some reason and someone is throwing up. Maybe the ants or the sunrise or the pavement. Dawn is foggy, an infinite blue stomach, a child learning the function of a verb. We are losing a war against three-tiered houses. They sink their claws into the hill and bite. None of the right gods will have me. Chorus of how you are, like milk or the shiver of a little butter in a frying pan. I stop buildings for you, like one word shoving another. I wait at a bar in the desert, drink three glasses of yellow beer. I double as a canvas for lit up seeds, boys like fat brush strokes. Up close, they are grotesque. You ask me to cross the river in the middle of the night. It occurs to me the river is roughly the size of your dick. <laughs> Whatever, Morgan. <laughs> This bitch right here. <laughs> In some non-Western myths, it is possible for a woman to become a god. What I can do is give a good hug. Open up what's in a pill. So I can be more present, I am getting emails on my phone. There are other places, ways of living. We have ruled them out. Advertisements are suddenly not beautiful. I scrub my house. I let it get late. I thought heavily about the apocalypse since I was eight years old, but I've never considered strategy except to smoke cigarettes and wait. <laughs> Everyone laughs at that, and I'm like, no, no, for real. Um, cool. Okay, just a couple. These are newish. Do you guys know Nancy Myers? Do you care about that? Do you know Nancy Myers? Though? Yeah. 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 I care so much about all kitchens in Nancy Myers. <laughs> Nancy Myers and my dream of whiteness. I can't be sorry enough. I have learned everything is urgent. Road closings, animal lungs. I am working hard to be as many people as possible before I can't. I know my long, dark movie is fistfuls of gravel in a brown bottle. My storyboards fill me with calculated sorrow. A full plate and burnt sage. Dollar signs, breaking news. I work two and three jobs. I am honorable and brave. The ensemble cast whittles down. Maybe I'm a slave. I make ends meet. I don't get kissed. Behold my wide smile. Octavia Spencer cooks in a small apartment. She serves joyfully and doesn't eat. 
She wipes her palm on her apron forehead. Angela Bassett is sick and tired of being. Denzel Washington reminds us how often we are afraid. We get arrested. Someone narrates. What you look like is sheer fabric and ivory shells. Alec Baldwin is smoking a joint in the bathroom of a CEO's birthday party. Steve Martin tastes the goat cheese and considers nothing. You never get arrested. There is no question that God waits at the end of your staircase, curling softly like wood finished ribbon. Anne Hathaway hires a decorator. <laughs> Diane Keaton makes midnight pancakes, tops them with lavender ice cream. What is beautiful does not need to be called beautiful. No one talks about money. In our house, the sky is upside down. None of us find unlikely love. I do not revel in my luxury. I would rather serve than eat. If it seems like I desire you, you're right. I want my whole mouth around your safety. I want to be buried side by side. I know, I haven't gotten happier. <laughs> it turns out, you know, it's like, it's like downhill. Everyone's like, where's the jokes? Um, where are they? <laughs> Magical Negro number 89. Michael Jackson in blackface on a date with Tatum O'Neill in the 1970s. Real picture from the internet. It's weird. There, I said it. I've been thinking about buying a gun. There's a precedent for my kind and it doesn't end. My sense of time and condition is always six months to eight years ahead or two days to 150 years behind. To be safe, I remain in a state of repentance. I can't help it. Our song plays in the grocery store. I'm picking out parsnips. I imagine telling my dad I'm buying parsnips and laugh at the way he would say, girl, don't you know you're a Negro? What in the hell? The confession is, in this moment, I do not know precisely how parsnips taste. Only that I've had them before. Some dinner party, some new American Brooklyn situation. I was delighted lifting my glass to toast a gruner for no reason in particular, except I approximate myself as something to celebrate. I could go on like this for decades. Dress up is what we call blessed. I only get turned on in hiding, shoulder to door jam and maybe a rifle. We're scared shitless to leave the houses ourselves and we like it that way. Isn't repentance always a question? The glass is empty now, I'm desperate as Motown snow, something hissing in my palms. I can never ever stop thinking about Fred Hampton and youth and how it ends. Grown up is when the other you eats you, when what you allow is a monster. Sometimes in bed with white lovers, I ask permission to show my dark. The devil's underground are still. I'm sorry. Just an asshole. 
Imagine how I feel. <laughs> it's hard in here. The High Priestess of Souls. I wrote this poem in Chicago. There we go. The High Priestess of Souls, Sunday morning visit to the Wall of Respect in Chicago. The Impressionism wing strikes me as too dainty for my mood. Except for one oil painting by Gustav Kaibat, calf's head and ox tongue, which is described in the wall text as visually unpleasant. A bust of an African woman bums me out. This year, I cried at everyone's kitchen table. I spit on the street and was late on purpose and stepped in glass and my dog died and I saw minuses over and over. I'll figure it out. I let a man walk away and then another one. It has taken me exactly this long to realize I could have done something else. I'm being repetitive now, but do you ever hate yourself? All right, one more. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm always like, ah, ah. Do you? <laughs> okay, one more. I'm sorry. Um, Magical Negro, number 217. Diana Ross finishing a rib in Alabama, 1990s. If you haven't seen this picture, run. <laughs> run, don't walk. <laughs> Since I thought I'd be dead by now, Everything I do is fucking perfect. <laughs> Walking, wreck, reckless, and then I suck their bones until they're perfect. I don't sleep with accolades. I don't get touched in the night. All men do is cry and ask me to be their mama. I can't get a decent fuck to save my... When I think about their feelings, I don't care. Come on, Morgan. It's cool, it's cool. Come to mama. There's so much death here. She is casual and almost fragrant, like the word kill doesn't sound as bad as it is. All my friends are sisters and husbands. I'm afraid to be uncharted. I want an empire in my teeth, but I can't be, bother be bothered to wear anything but silk. I have grown up less mysterious than my myth. All men do is think I'm looking at them. When I think about them tasting me, I don't, I mean, don't Google my tits when you can just, unfortunately, I have a body, and I'm the only one in charge of it. You know what, I eat the bones too. I'm in the world, I'm in the world, nobody cares where I came from, thank you. being here like it means a lot to me I'm also so 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 grateful for Sam and Morgan who are two of my favorite writers to kind of be reading alongside me um, even just like I, so I moved in LA or I moved to LA in March and I was like oh cool like I'm gonna go to this reading and not know anybody and it's so beautiful to me to like see folks that I know and love and it just really means a lot to me so I'm very very grateful um, has anybody ever been to Old Country Buffet yeah <laughs> <laughs> this poem is called Old Country. Old Country Buffet, where our family went on the days we saved enough money. Everybody was in a good mood, even Olu, our uncle, who never smiled or took off his coat and dyed his hair black every two weeks so we couldn't tell how old he was. We marched 
single file towards a gigantic red lettering across the gravel parking lot to announce our arrival. We, children, carrying our rectangle backpacks brimming with homework, calculators, and Lisa Frank trapper keepers, for we knew this was a day without escape, spread out across all the booths possible while our family ate and ate and ate yeah. and snuck food into the Tupperware they smuggled in. And no matter how we begged and whined or the waitress yelled or threatened to charge us more money, we weren't leaving until my greedy ass family had their fill. Oh, old country, the only place we could get dessert and eat as much of it as we wanted before our actual meal. The only place we didn't have to eat all the meat on our plates or else we were accused of being wasteful, told our husbands would have as many pimples as rice we left behind. <laughs> Here, our family reveled in the American way of waste. Manifest destiny our way through the mac and cheese and green bean casseroles, mythical foods we'd only heard about on TV where American children rolled their eyes in disgust. Here, we learned how to say, I too have had meatloaf and hate it. We could bring back to the lunch table as we guessed what the other kids ate and they scoffed at our biryani. Here, the adults told us if we didn't like the strawberry shortcake, we could eat the ice cream or jello. We could get a whole plate just to try a bite and turn up our noses and that was fine. Here, we loosened the drawstrings on our shavars and gained 10 pounds. Here, we arrived at the beginning of lunch hour and stayed until dinner approached, until they made us leave. Here, we learned how to be American and say, we got the money and we're here to stay. People ask me what my book is about a lot, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that there's, so there's a lot about being like an immigrant, like you know, being an immigrant, um, and also being Muslim. Is anybody here Muslim? <laughs> so this um, <laughs> this poem starts with an epigraph from my sister, Khadija, um, which is, "God supports my waxing habit." <laughs> it's called Haram. <laughs> The day Auntie A saw my sister's pussy hairs crawling out and around her underwear so long that if you ripped through the tangles, you could part them into pigtails was the day we were all given our own pair of scissors and told to read namaz. Your hairiness is against Allah's will, my auntie scolded. The disappointment lined on her too young face. The three of us sisters lined up to wash our feet in the tub, our shame quieting us as the wadu water splashed all the way to our arms. Khadija had to do astaghfirullah, repenting for her evils as we cut each lock of hair, discarding them in a plastic bag we got from the corner store because they were too thick to flush down our struggling toilet. The next day, we sisters woke up at 5 a.m. to read the Quran, massacring the scripture in our American mouths. We read the surah about not painting your nails or altering any part of your body and wondered about our sheared bushes, once a part of us, and now finding shelter in some smelly garbage. Maybe we misunderstood the surah. Maybe we were outside Allah's creations. But we knew better than to question my auntie's law. We speculated that the Quran hadn't ever imagined hairiness like ours. So vast, it was its own sin. <laughs> Um, 
let's go in this cop playroom. My uh, my best friend. So okay, I keep looking at Nabila because Nabila I've known since I was like a fucking baby. Um, and uh, and one of my best friends from um, childhood texted me this morning with his poem and was like, man, I remember when we used to do this. Um, and this poem is called Playroom. I never had enough Kens, so I made my Barbies fuck each other or fuck Beanie Babies. Hey. <laughs> Y'all all did it too, so don't even lie. I know the people start act like they're better than everyone else. I never had more than one Beanie Baby per species. They were rarer that way, and like some perverted Noah's Ark, kept from multiplying. No one with skin colored like theirs, freaks like me. Lucky the Barbies needed their bodies. I controlled in my playroom. Whole cities of beautiful women, boundless tits fucking loose sacks of animal, plastic legs thrusting and thrusting until the beanie said yes, balls of beans spilling to the floor. The ladies fucked their corpses until Auntie A made me throw them out. Legions of identical white women, skin glowing like pearl milk, magnificent, as they stormed the gates of the zoo conquering each animal one limb at a time. I'm going to hell. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Uh, what poem are you going to read next? All the fun people will be there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to each other. Um, we'll see. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I feel like hell, they're going to have all the fun people, but then you can't talk to the other fun people, so you just have to sit by yourself. Um, <laughs> This poem is called Halal, and it's after um, one of my really, really good friends, Safiel Halal. The Uber I step into is Halal. At least the driver tells me so. He says, this window is Halal, this door is Halal, this floor, and we both laugh. The prayer hung in the rear view, a minaret that calls my knees, the closest to masjid I have been in years. Tonight, this ride is the ummah I choose, the driver's hoot a dervish that whirls my smile. He says, I am 1% halal, 99% shaitan. At least my devil is honest. Khudak is sugar, at least my devil is honest. My skirt a little too short. My collarbones ridges for lovers' fingers to find flight. I never dress right in any weather. My arms a gathering of bumps. All my auntie's shame ice the blood below my inked veins. My knees wobble on the edge of what I should be and what I am. At the end of my sight, I dream a world brimming with my contradictions. When I turn to look, it disappears. My devil quiet the days I wrap my hair in a bouquet. But tonight, mashallah, we are safe from his gaze in this rush chariot. I lace the back seat with my haram. I trace an altar in my God's name. All right, so I think I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and, and read um, sad poems, uh, or like poems that are a little bit sadder. Um, a lot of the poems in this book have to do with a historical event called Partition, um, which happened in 1947, um, where colonial Britain left uh, South Asia and then the whole region kind of just devolved into to violence. Um, and there was like 14 million refugees that happened in the span of a few months and uh, like two to three million people who were murdered. Um, and retributive genocides on, on all sides. And it kind of created the this, this schism between India and Pakistan that kind of exists today. And my family, my mom's side of my family is all from Kashmir, um, which is still d disputed territory. So it's like not even a country. Um, and is constantly like under curfew and being um, like fought over a lot. 
Um, and so a lot of the poems in the book have to do with partition and the way that there's kind of a way that I think like when you are a person of color in America and it, like a person of color and or an immigrant like you kind of come to America and then you're divorced from your history like people look at you and they don't consider the history and the things that, that you and your people have been through and um, there's a real violence that kind of happens when people don't consider like that and consider where you come from. Um, and so a lot of the book is kind of like thinking through the ways that like that history still affects like our generations today and the kind of silences around it like only make us worse, you know? Um, and this poem is called National Geographic. I see my not me on the news. She who weds for her sweet 16. Mosquito bites for breasts. My not fallas trace her hands with mendy. A plate of Mathai bursting at her feet. My not follows dance, pound palm to drum, stave off monsoons. My not abu checks the sheets for her blood the next morning, brandishes the satin like a flag, his pride singing through the town. There's my not me again, the one I could have been, drowned in a burqa on her way to the market, fingering mangoes through gloves, Nahari steaming for hours at the flat shared with my not husband's family. My not me's eyes, brilliant and green, decorating the pages of Western magazines. Eyes that earn a white man awards and showings, but eyes that stay naqabbed in the mountains, while my not me rims, rims her son's mouth with salt to trick his belly into not hunger. My not me celebrating the Wali, lights gathered at the base of her door. My not me Indian, worshiping a host of different gods, calling all their names, my not tongue, not foreign, not accented, not strange, my not me, not worried about Taliban, but still worried about men. My not me on the bus, divided among the passengers' hands, abdomen gutted, left on a road to die. Still, not me, alone, and not me. Um, this poem is called Partition. You're Kashmiri until they burn your home. Take your orchards, stake a different flag, until no one remembers the road that brings you back. You're Indian until they draw a border through Punjab, until the British captains spit faki as they sip your chai, add so much foam you can't taste home. You're strikey until your mouth fills with English. You're Pakistani until your classmates ask what that is, then you're Indian again, or some kind of Spanish. You speak a language until you don't, until you only recognize it between your auntie's lips. Your father was fluent in four languages. You're illiterate in the tongues of your father. Your grandfather wrote Persian poetry on glasses. Maybe, you can't remember, you made it up, someone lied. You're a daughter until they bury your mother, until you're not invited to your father's funeral. You're a virgin until you get too drunk. You're Muslim until you're not a virgin. You're Pakistani until they start throwing acid. You're Muslim until it's too dangerous. You're safe until you're alone. You're American until the towers fall, until there's a border on your back. And then we can, we can kick it and, and hang out for a little bit. Um, so this poem is, I'm trying to see, how the sadness level. Um, <laughs> frankly, I'm like, oh, is everyone okay? What do we do? Um, everyone's, everyone's breathing, and then what kind of sadness are we going for? Um, there's a lot of kinds of sadness in this book, too. 
Um, okay, I'm gonna read this one. Um, does anyone know what a ghazal is? Yes. Um, so a ghazal is a, is a form of poetry, but it's, I know it's all poetry. Um, but, uh, so in, in, so in the context in which I, my cultural context, South Asia, so uh, there's this thing called the mujra, which is like when, um, groups of, of like women would live together, right? And they the way that they they're often kind of like thought of badly because it's like, ooh, they're prostitutes because they're women living together. And like, yeah, they would fuck men for money, but like they would do that because they were creating these alternate societies that men did not have to be a part of. Um, and there was this thing called the, like these mujahs in which like men would come in and women would sing ghazals and they would kind of sing these poetic art forms. And it was one of the only instances in which like men would just shut the fuck up and listen to women. And so this poem is the first ghazal I ever wrote. And I kind of was thinking about like, if I actually could have men stop talking and listen to me, what, what, is, what are some things I would like to say? Um, and, and like how and how, you know? And so this poem is called WWE. Here's your cousin in her best gold-threaded shalvar kameez, made small by this land of American men. Every day she prays, rolls atha, pounds the kima, at night watches the bodies of these glistening men. Big and muscular, neck full of veins, bulging in the pen. Her eyes, cajoled, wide, glued to sweaty American men. She smiles guilty as a bride without blood, her love of this new country, cold snow, and naked American men. Stop living in a soap opera, yells her husband, fresh from work, demanding his dinner, American. Men take and take, and yet you idolize them still. Watch your cousin as she builds her silent altar to them. Her knees fold on the rundown mattress, a prayer to the pen, her thusby and TV, the only thing she puts before her husband. She covers bruises and never lets us eat leftovers, a good wife. It's something in their nature, what America does to men. They can't touch anyone without teeth and spit, unless one strips the other of their human skin. Now that you're older, she calls to say he hit her again. This didn't happen before he became American. Even now, you don't get it, but whenever it's on, you watch them snarl like mad dogs in a cage, these American men. You know it's true and tried to help, but what can you do? You, Fatima, who still worships him. Yeah. Um, this poem, okay, so this will be the last poem I read, and it's called If They Come For Us. These are my people, and I find them on the street and shadow through any wild, all wild, my people, my people, a dance of strangers in my blood, the old woman sorry dissolving to wind, Bindi a new moon on her forehead, I claim her my kin, and so the star of her to my breast. The toddler dangling from stroller, hair a fountain of dandelion seed at the bakery, I claim them too. The Sikh uncle at the airport who apologizes for the pat down, the Muslim man who abandons his car at the traffic light, drops to his knees at the call of the azan, and the Muslim man who drinks good whiskey at the start of Maghrib, the lone khala at the park bearing her kurta with crocs, 
My people, my people, I can't be lost when I see you. My compass is brown and gold and blood. My compass, a Muslim teenager, snap back in high tops gracing the subway platform. Mashallah, I claim them all. My country is made in my people's image. If they come for you, they come for me too in the dead of winter. A flock of aunties step out on the sand. They're the butthas turn to ocean. A colony of uncles grind their palms and a thousand jasmines bell the air. My people, I follow you like constellations. We hear glass smashing the street and the nights opening dark. Our names, this country's wood for the fire. My people, my people, the long years we've survived, the long years yet to come. I see you map my sky, the light, your lantern long ahead, and I follow, I follow. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.